glad you're tuning in to today's uh, message. Uh, we had a little bit of an issue in the recording, and uh, we didn't get to record the first part of the message. Um, so I wanted to take some time and um, <clears throat> at least uh, kind of re-record and, uh, br- and let you know what the first part of this message was so that as the live recording of this weekend's uh, message picks up, you would um, understand where we're at. So <clears throat> if you're taking notes, we are in uh, week two of A Kingless Kingdom, and today's message is ready to war. <clears throat> ready to war. Well, up to this point in in Judges and reading the last part of Joshua last week, we see three generations of people, the wilderness generation of Moses, the conquering generation of Joshua, and then this new generation of Israelites that have risen up. And they have no king. Um, this Again, this is a period when Joshua dies at the end of the book of Joshua, chapter 24, and a king is not established among the people of Israel until 1 Samuel, with the first king of Israel being King Saul. So we have 350 years of a kingless kingdom, and this is a point where it is most crucial for the people of God to depend on God and to obey God and to walk in God in everything they do. Um, we had the, the wilderness generation that they and, and the Joshua generation. <coughs> the people have um, that there's testimonies of miracles and wonders and how God's victorious. Now, all of a sudden, this new generation has risen up, and they have not seen this. They've heard about it. They they they, they have heard the testimony of their ancestors, and God has said, I want you to walk in, in, in the obedience of what I have given you to walk in. <clears throat> but the people of Israel start to walk out of obedience. They, they set their heart on simple things or place in the worship of the Father with other gods. And as a result, God's taken his hand off the people. And he says, I'm going to leave the enemy in your territory, and I'm not going to drive them out. They, I left them for a reason, which we're going to get to in a minute. But I'm taking my hand off of you, and, and I'm no longer going to take care of the enemy. Because I asked you for one thing. I've given you land you did not possess. I've given you houses you have not built. I've given you vineyards. I've given you all this, th- all these things that you have not done. And all I want you to do is walk in me and obey me and abide in me. And in the rest of the book of Judges, uh, Judges, we see the goodness of God because the people rebel against this this thing that God wants. They're they're not walking in God. They're not walking in in obedience. They're not worshiping him. There's all of this mixture. There's all of this um, uh, rebellion against God. And God takes his hand off. But throughout the rest of the book, we see the goodness of him because every time the people cry out, he sends a judge for them. And we talked about last week how that word judge comes from the word shaphat, S-H-A-P-H-A-T. It is, and it means the one who was brought to make it so that the people can rule again in their right standing with God. That's what God has done for us. We have been made unto righteousness with Jesus. We've been made right to rule. God's goal is always to redeem the kingless kingdoms. It's always to redeem a people where even though we get rebellious, even though we get out of line, even though we walk away from him, he always wants to redeem us. And in today's message, we're going to see the first judge that God brings up when the people cry out to him. So I want to start out... <clears throat> by reading a few verses of Judges chapter 2 um, from last week, and I the last three verses of, of chapter 2. It says this, 
Judges chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. The Lord burned with anger against Israel. He said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I made with their ancestors and have ignored my commands. I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. And then he talks about why he did it. He says, I did this, verse 22, to test Israel, to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did. This is why the Lord left those nations in place. He did not quickly drive them out or allow Joshua to conquer them. God says, I'm going to leave these nations in place, this, these enemy nations in my land in place. And if my people are obedient to me, their growth will not be hindered. I will take care of the enemy. But I want to see, will they obey? And then we come into Judges chapter 3, and it starts off by saying this in verses 1 and 2. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test the Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of, of Israelites who had no experience in battle. Now the word test here actually means to prove. These nations were going to remain among the people because God says, I want Israel to prove faithfulness to me. He says the Israelites, in, in, in verse 1, I, I left these nations in the land for the, the people um, who have not experienced war. There, there's a truth that we see in scripture that the enemy has fallen to the earth. Jesus says, I've seen the, the Satan fall like lightning to the earth and he is among us. God has not taken care of Satan totally yet. He has not thrown him in the pit. He has not totally destroyed him. And we are at a time in our nation where people have given them to rebellion. We're at a time in, in our nation, in, in our in, in even in the church, in our families, where people um, ha have totally strayed away from God, and God says, "There, I am going to allow the enemy to be among you because uh, um, I want to see, are you going to be obedient to me? Because I need a people who are ready to go to war for me because there's going to be a time when things are going to push against my people. There's going to be a time when things come against you. And in order to prepare you for that time, in order to prepare my church to be ready to come against all the things coming against us, I want my people to be prepared for battle. And we all know it's really easy to worship God when, when there's no pushback. But when, but when pushback comes, when we come to a wall, when we come to a mountain, if you will, when we come to a place where something is continually pushing against us, it, it can sometimes cause us to retreat. And all of a sudden, when our faith gets tested, uh, we, we really start to find out what we rely on. Because what happens is uh, we, we, we say, God, I trust in you. I put my faith in you. But then when we start losing our jobs, when our relationships are tested, when our friendships fail, when all these things come against us, especially when we're doing the right thing, you know, we're going to church, we're, we're, we're singing songs, we're doing our devotions. When we're abiding in God and all of a sudden something comes against us, for some reason the first thing we do is we doubt God. But God actually says, I have allowed the enemy to come against you for a reason. And in James chapter 1, 2 through 4, it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, not if, but when they come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when struggles come against us, it's really hard to, to get excited and, and, you know, shout hallelujah when a, when, when a trouble comes our way. But this scripture says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Why? Look at verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. He says, let your endurance grow, or in other words, let your faith be tested. Because when your faith is tested, you will be fully developed in your endurance, which makes you walk in a posture of perfection and completeness, needing nothing. Now, it's not that you're earning perfection. You got that in your identity as a reborn son or daughter of the living God. When Jesus paid that debt of sin on the cross and says, I've redeemed you, we got a new identity. We are redeemed and we are new in him. He sees us as perfect and complete. But that doesn't mean we automatically start walking into our identity as perfect and complete. You know, great musicians don't start off great. They have to develop something that seems very, that's very elementary, that's very basic, and they develop it into greatness. But God always saw those as great musicians. But walking into that thing depends on development. So God says, I want you to consider it joy when something comes against you, because the trials that come against you, if you will prove your obedience and learn how to war in that trial by having faith in me and walking in my ways and not giving in to other things so easily, that is going to grow your endurance to deal with battles so that when it's time to go to war, you're going to be ready, and I could call upon you to help redeem the kingless kingdoms. I can call upon you to help redeem the kingless kingdoms of family, of the nation, of the state, of the government, of the church itself. He says, I want your faith to be tested so that you can grow walking into your identity that I already see you as, which is complete and perfect. And remember, the Israelites had no experience with battle. But God wants warriors. Verse 2, he says, he did this to teach warfare generations. Oh, why does God want warriors? Because the time has not yet come to completely restore the earth by throwing Satan in a pit and fully redeeming mankind. And until that time comes, there is a people that God needs to war for him to occupy land and redeem whatever we can. Because there's something that we miss a lot of times. We always... Uh, love to remember the truth that Jesus saved us. But we forget the Father loved us even before Christ. The reason we have Jesus is for our Father, for God so loved the world. Our Father loved us so much that he gave his Son. There was never a question of did the, did the Father love us. It was a question of why have we turned from him. And because we turned from him, we walked out of right standing. And the Father said, I need you to redeem this place and to fight and occupy enemy territory until I see fit to redeem the land to redeem the people to destroy satan and everyone always asks the same question well why hasn't god taken care of satan yet well the bible says you were formed before you were in your mother's womb so that means even in the back in, in the days of moses god had knew who you were and he had a plan for you and he had a future for you 
And God loved you so much that he said, I'm not going to let the mess up of a man and a woman named Adam and Eve prevent me from allowing my children who are not yet in the earth to enter into the earth. So he says, I love my kids too much, and until I, until all the ones I've seen come about, I'm going to allow the enemy to walk among you. I'm not going to destroy him yet, and I'm going to use his presence to build up a, a people that learn how to battle, that learn how to face things, so that when... It's time to war when it's time to face the enemy, when it is time to, 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 to overcome that battle in your life, you're going to be ready for it. I don't see fit to destroy everything yet, so I want my people to be ready to do whatever I've called them to do. And that's hard because in this world today, there are so many things that come against us, and I don't think a lot of us are ready to, 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 to battle. I mean, if we can get really, really real, um, homosexuality uh, is a big thing in the church. Um, uh, not necessarily maybe in the church, but on, on the nation as a whole. And there are churches, even Savannah, that are marrying homosexuals. But are we ready to battle that? Because we seek friendship and acceptance so much, we'll condone the sin to keep the friendship. But Jesus says, are you willing to leave it all to honor me. But we're not ready to battle that. We, 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 we don't want to take a stand because we think we need to appease these people. When God says, I don't want you to appease them, I want you to redeem them. I want you to show them that there's a better way. I want you to show them that I love them, and no matter how far they've gone from me, it's your job, church, people of God, to redeem that culture, not rewrite the, 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 the Bible to excuse their sin, but redeem them. The Father loves them. The Father loves everyone. He doesn't want us to walk in sin. He wants us to be redeemed from it. We're called to be ready to war against those things. But what happens is we're too scared to lose friendships and we're not satisfied by the friendship of the Father. So we don't walk in obedience. We actually walk in rebellion because we value something we can see over the God that we can't see and we're not ready to battle. But we validate the sin, right? Are you, ready to be, are you ready to battle when you say, even though you might have been born into that iniquity, or you may choose this because you had a bad father or a bad mother, are you ready to say, I'm not going to that wedding? Well, I'm not supporting it, I'm just supporting them. I mean, let's, let's get real. What does Jesus say? Will you, will, are you willing to lose your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters, all of it for me? And I'm not trying to pick on that, but you, you, you take that into anything. There's so much compromise. What do you stand for? There, the, the, the Bible even says, God says, I don't want lukewarm. You're either hot or you cold. You're yes or you no. You're in, you're out. I need to get saved, y'all. <laughs> she needs to get redeemed. <laughs> Are 
Are you ready to war with this stuff? Are, and how do you war? In love? And you know what Jesus' idea of love was? I'm going to walk into the temple and toss tables upside down. And we think, well, why would God take his hand off the people? Why would God take his hand off the nation? Why would God do all these things? Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 to 12. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. Don't be upset when he corrects you. The Lord corrects those he hates. Nope. He corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. And sometimes correction looks like, I'm going to take my hand off of you until you recognize you cannot do this without me. And anyone with churn know what I'm talking about. That's fine. That's fine. I told you not to touch that stove, but you can touch it all you want. But that's, that's where we're at, right? Why, why isn't God with me? No, no. Taking his hand off of you doesn't mean he's left. It just means he's not blessing what lifestyle you're living in. And he says, you can, you can try to live in that all you want. But one day you're going to realize that you cannot do this without me, and you're going to cry out in desperation, and just like he is for these Israelites, he says, I'm going to be there for you. I, 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 I believe God is still there for every single lifestyle whether it be drug addiction or alcohol addiction, homosexuality. And let me just point this out, and I said it last week, but there's a lot of people in here, I want you to know who I am. Every time the Bible is homosexuality, it partners it with sexual morality. So don't pick on gay people if you're having sex before marriage. Drop the mic. <laughs> so there you have it. And this is not to condemn, because let's be honest, most people have messed up in that. He says, I'm still with you. But there are certain areas that my hands will not be on. So don't expect a different outcome. Look at verses 3 and 4. He talks about all these nations being in our midst. I hope this is okay. Verses 3 and 4. These are the nations... <coughs> The Philistines are living under the five Philistine rulers, the Canaanites, the Sidonites, the Hivites, living in the mountains of Lebanon from Mount Baal, Hermon to Lebo, Hamath. These people were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands the Lord had given their ancestors through Moses. So we're given a list of all of the pagan territories that are left in the land that should be God's land. The people that God wanted his people to drive out. God says, here's the list. Here's all the enemy nations. Here's everything that you need to know about. And I think in the same way we could all make a list of pagan territory in our land. Oh, I know that God don't have this, 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 and this, and this in my life. And right now it's coming to your mind. God definitely does not have that. God definitely doesn't have this. God definitely doesn't have my Friday night. God definitely doesn't have my ride to work. I do it too, y'all. You know, I'm, I'm 34 and single, and I get sad sometimes when I'm alone, and I do stupid stuff when I'm sad. 
I'll put on sappy romantic movies, even though I'm a man. And I'll oh my God, just watch them. Like, that's stupid. But, but we do that with everything, right? You get angry, so you don't find someone who's peaceful. You find someone who's mad at someone else, and then you feed off each other's anger. And then instead of conquering the anger, now the anger's conquered both of y'all, y'all mad, and then you take it out on your significant others, or your work, or the next person who calls you, how you doing? Let me tell you how I'm doing. We, we walk into the wrong stuff, right? Because we, we let, again, the suggestion, well, you, you're, you're not good enough. I can't tell you how many times I'm, I've dealt with it. I mean, you, you know how many times I get asked, well, you're a pastor. Why, you, why haven't you ever been married? I, I get so sick and tired of hearing that. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, why are you asking? Like, but, but, when you get asked those questions, you know, the first thing you, th- you think of in your flesh is, I'm not good enough. Because the enemy starts to put that in your mind. Then what do you do? You look at the reality. Oh, it makes sense. I'm not good enough. That's why I'm alone. I- I'm not righteous enough. That's why I deal with anxiety and depression. No, it's not. Why do you deal with depression? Because God's going to allow the enemy to put it right in front of you and see how you war with it. See how you battle it. Maybe it's the wisdom to go get some medication because there's some chemical imbalance. I'm not a pastor that believes against, that is against that. Sometimes it's depression because you just keep making stupid decisions. Sometimes it can be some chemical things. Just like we read in Acts. Paul healed a guy supernaturally, and then Luke came in and healed the rest of the town medically. God sees you as perfect. But there's still some parts of us that have given way to territories. And he does this (coughs) because there are some destinations that God has for you, that you can't go there where certain things still in you. God has a purpose for you. He has a destiny for you. He has a future for you. He's got plans for you. He's had the plans before you were ever born. And he says, I'm not, I don't want you to list the stuff to measure up how much you're sinning because of how bad you are. It's not the point of it. And that's what we get told in church. You're a sinner. No, no, you're not. You're a perfect and complete saint of God. But there is still enemy territory in your land. So why should I list it? Because if God has this place for me, maybe I can't get into that place because he will not allow that enemy to reside in that destiny. So I've got to let go of that. I've got to let go of this. And you'll find when you start to let stuff go and and endure the trial, you'll find yourself walking into new areas and new seasons. It's not because you weren't good enough before. It's because he was seeing how much will you obey me 
so that I will drive out the thing in you. You see, it's not even your job to drive out the enemy. God says, I'll do that. But will you be willing to battle with it and obey me in how to battle? Is this, is this making sense? Think about it. Like, obey me in the battle. You're alone, so the way you battle is find something to make you feel no longer alone. And God says, no, 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 the, the way I want you to battle is seek me, and you, you, you'll find that you are complete in the presence of the Almighty. You, you battle with things, not to drive the enemy out, to obey something that doesn't make sense to you. And he says, if you'll walk in that obedience and endure, because let's be honest, there are certain things that come against you. You can get quick relief, or it might take a week of prayer to get a sustained relief. But we don't want to put forth the week. We want the 15-minute answer. And then we'll justify it. The most freeing thing in your life could be identifying what stuff that you've got left in your territory. So let's see what they do with the test. <clears throat> it's only 1130. We're doing good. Look at Judges chapter 3, verse 5. <clears throat> so the people of Israel lived among the enemy. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they intermarried with them. God says, I don't want this stuff in your land. And they married with the people. Israelite sons married their daughters. Israelite's daughter married. Uh, they were given in marriage to their sons, and the Israelites served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and Asherah poles. Ungodly romances and intermingling. They started to have a mixture of their belief in God and the pagan cultures and idols that God said, I don't want my land anymore. They started to make compromises. They started to intermingle what they believed with the ways of the world around them. And it doesn't even say they made a conscious decision to convert to another God. It says they forgot about their God. And when we start to intermingle with things of this world, it's not always a, I'm not going to worship Jesus. I'm not going to worship the Father. Sometimes you just forget that he's there. And because you forget about him, you start to walk in all this other stuff. You start to put more faith in your horoscope reading than God. And I'm not necessarily speaking against this, and maybe I am. I'm not even really sure. But Christians spend more time on blood moon and orange moon and green moon and meteorite coming and God's going. Do you remember the verse in the Bible that Jesus said, why y'all still look into the heavens? Why y'all still looking up? You trying to find an answer to the end of the world and the constellations? It is not your time to know. He says, I don't even know. My father set those times. Stop looking up and start seeking him right here and go make disciples among the nations. 
But we put all this faith in intermarrying and intermingling. We get healing crystals and we get, you know, I need to get a dream catcher in my home to have pleasant dreams. How many of you know Christians that got dream catchers in their homes? Some of y'all don't want to raise your hands because some of y'all got them. <laughs> and God's like, I'll give you peace. And you're like, but just in case you're not good enough, let me buy this thing. Or, you know, I don't have enough peace in my home, so I'm going to go down to City Market and I'm going to go get this, this beautiful, this crystal that gives me energy and aura. Oh, it's not bad because it's made of the earth, which we're called to redeem. Well, that offends me. I got that in my home. Well, you're welcome. Go get it out. Mm. And we love to justify it works. Yeah, that stuff will work. Anything will work to get your focus off God. Well, if it works, it must be good. Really? Addiction works for a lot of people because they escape their reality. These people forgot about their God. I don't know why I'm on crystals and stones right now, but... What do we do? When we get around that stuff, the first thing we'll do is we'll grab on that thing hanging from our rear view mirror or grab that stone in our pocket and, oh, give me peace. And God's like, I'm always with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Okay. When we intermingle with things that God's called us to drive out, we get out of relationship with him, and all of a sudden we're in idol worship. We'd love to justify it. But we've forgotten our call to a life of sacrifice. Because sometimes we're called to sacrifice things that we love. Pagan traditions. Now this will offend some of you. And I'm not taking a staunch approach on this because I don't know the right answer yet. Just, that's my disclaimer. But think about like the, the church. Every church uses pagan holidays to grow their church. Christmas, Easter, Halloween, 4th of July. Many people think that 4th of July is only about the independence of America. But if you understand satanic occult, the 4th of July is actually a time where the, the people of satanic occults worship Satan. But we think it's only about that because we don't know. Y'all look at me like I'm crazy. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you some stuff. Like, just being real, one of my favorite holidays is Halloween. I'm not ever coming back to this church. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, Y'all, I'm real. I'm very transparent. I ain't perfect. So I'm just telling you how it is. I love Halloween. I, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't trick or treat because I'm, you know, like, not a kid, but... <laughs> I like going to haunted houses. Like I like that stuff. But at what point does God say, "Well, what, what, what will, you, what are you willing to give up to look so different?" 
because you grew up in the culture saying that all of it's okay, but maybe we should start to really dive into, is it? You know, like, there's so much pagan tradition about an a, a Easter egg, and, and we call it innocent because it's for the kids. And we use it for our benefit, but some things, God says, that, that I, don't, I don't want that in my land. I know that's hard to take in. And again, I, I'm not, I don't know the answer to all these things, but I do know at some point we have to say, are we of God or not in everything we do? And I'm going to say this really quietly because I know sometimes they can hear me, but Christmas, what do you give gl- more glory to? The birth of the Savior? Just being real. It's all about God. No, it's not on the 25th. I can't believe that pastor said that. I'm never coming back. Well, that's fine. I mean, I love you, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to bow down to keep you. Maybe that's why we're smaller. But look what Mark 10 says in verses 17 to 25. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and knelt down and, and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only good, the only God is truly good. He's testing him. Do, do you just recognize me as a man named Jesus or, or who, what do you see me as? But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. Most of y'all have broken all that stuff. Maybe not the murder part, hopefully. But <laughs> verse 20, even though if you think it, you've done it. Verse 20. Well, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I think that kind of means pity. <laughs> Well, there's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Now, you would have think that man would have been like, finally an answer. Verse 22, as this, as this the man's face fell, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know America is considered among the top 5% of the richest people in the world? Even in COVID. I can tell you stories of serving in Haiti, Haiti, meeting children who have never held a toy. And you stressing out because you can't buy your child gift number 36 for Christmas. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Basically, it comes down to this. He says, you can't do anything to earn it. Nothing you do will earn it. That's why I'm going to buy it for you. Through my blood and my body. Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to get it for you. 
But if you're going to walk into the kingdom, if you're going to walk into the redeemed culture of the kingdom of heaven on earth, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven, you got to be willing to give everything up, even the stuff you love, even the stuff that makes you happy, because our joy should come from the Lord, right? But we get joy by everything else. And we think, well, God wants this. No, 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 no. He, he, he's, he's actually pretty jealous. They weren't willing to give up stuff, and neither were these people of Israel. They didn't want to walk in the ways of the Lord. Look what happened in verse 8. The Lord burned with anger against Israel. He turned them over to King Cushan Rishathayim of Aram Naharaim. And the, mm, I'm doing good. And the Israelites served Cushan Rishathayim for eight years. Years. God gave Israel just what they wanted. Y'all want to intermingle with pagan culture? Have it your way. You go ahead and walk in your bondage. He took his hand off. And at some point, we're either going to be the church that's given into it or the church that walks into the fullness of him where he really does satisfy every need, every desire. I mean, can you imagine a day where we're so overwhelmed with the joy of God that we don't need any event to, to, su- to supplement a joy? Can you, can you imagine that day? Now, I'm not saying you're not saved if you celebrate holidays. I'm saying at, at some point we have to figure out what is of him and what's not. I'm not saying you're not saved if you've got crystals or dream catchers, or if you listen to horoscopes, but I'm letting you know that some of your territory is giving over to the, is, has been given over to the demonic, whether you recognize it or not. Well, I, I can't believe you just, you told me I got demons. Again, you're welcome. <laughs> he says, I want it all. Exodus 34, 14 says this, you must not worship any other gods. The Lord, whose very name is jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. He is, his name is jealous. He wants everything. And because they wouldn't give him everything, they suffered in bondage for eight years. And it says they were under this corrupt king named Cushan Rishathine. It actually means the king of double wickedness. They served under a leader of double wickedness for eight years. What's even more crazy, it says they're in this place called Aram Naharim or whatever the, the name is. You know what the place actually is? It's a, it was Mesopotamia. And the thing about Mesopotamia was at the time, it was the most productive and fertile ground of anywhere. Do you realize what that means? Because of their disobedience and their intermingling, they were in the best, most most fertile, most fruitful place in bondage. And I think so many of us are there. You are in a place where you, you, are the, you could be the most pro- productive, most fruitful. You, you are in the best position. 
I believe that's the church in 2020. I believe that's us. People look at, I lost my job because of COVID as bad. You know what that's called? Fruitfulness for entrepreneurship. But we don't even want to think about that. We think, oh my God, I've lost it. You know what God says about that? He says, when you're worried about this, that's the thought that unbelievers are, concern, are concerned with. Because you claim that you know I know your every need. You claim that you know I provide. When are you going to seek me? When are you going to realize you can live in bondage all you want during COVID-19? Or you can recognize that you are in the most productive time. The nation is desperate for answers. So there's movement. There's political party. There's another this. There's this. There's that. We're being, things are being exposed. And God's like, this is the perfect time for you to show them who I am. Why are you bowing down? Verses 9 through 11, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them, a judge. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He became Israel, Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cushan Rishathaim of Aram. The Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was a peace in the land for 40 years. And then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Well, that sucks. Well, after eight years of bondage, they finally had enough that they called out for God's help. Because when you start to intermingle with all this stuff, you may feel great for a while, but eventually the bondage of your, life, of your life makes you realize that something is wrong and you need something more. And the only thing you actually need is God. And for so many of us, we get in this bondage. And for some reason, the way we try to get out is to give in to the very thing that puts you into bondage. At no point did they say, well, maybe we shouldn't have married with the, the culture that God said to get rid of. They just lived life as normal. And they kept going into the very thing that caused the bondage. They lived for eight years in bondage. They finally cry out to God. And it shows the goodness of him because he didn't say, well, I told y'all not to walk in it. No, he, he was right there. And he responded. And he raised up a judge, Othniel. Now, I remember Othniel from last week. Othniel's the guy. You got this dude named Caleb. And he has this daughter named Axa. And he says, I'll let any one of y'all boys marry my daughter if y'all win the battle. Othniel steps up. I got this. And he wins the battle. He gets the wife. Praise God. Well, eight years later, Othniel is the one that God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this guy to go to war with the double wicked king to get victory and give my people peace for 40 years. You want to know why he chose Othniel? This was a generation that didn't know how to what? Battle. Othniel was already used to enduring battles. He was being raised up to fight. Eight years later, God says, my people need me. 
Now, who is ready among my church to go to war with a doubled wicked king? So it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him, not by his strength, not by his own might, not by his power, but God said, I'm using this guy who's ready to war. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Then he said to me, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel, It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's army. Othniel must have been seeking God to some sort of degree for God to say, He's the one. And I'm not going to use his strength. My spirit is going to come upon him, and I'm going to give him victory. And he is going to lead the people and defeat a double wicked king. And they're coming out of eight years of bondage. And they'll get 40 years of peace. First John 5, 4, every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve victory through our faith. Your very DNA as a redeemed son or daughter of God is a warrior who always wins. Well, that ain't my life. I've lost plenty of battles. Were you seeking to let the Spirit work through you, or were you trying to do it by your own strength? Because when it's in Him, always victory. But victory may not look like how you want it to look. Because how did He get victory? Fighting. Sometimes you've got to fight for a while, sometimes you've got to endure the hardship. Endure the testing so that your faith can be made perfect and complete, ready for anything. We are all called to be the ones that God uses to redeem the kingless kingdoms of our families, of this nation, of the culture. But are you seeking Him and ready for Him to just overcome you? He needs warriors, He needs people who are ready to fight. He, reads, he needs people who are ready to say, because I've made you righteous by my blood, go take it back. Go get your family back. Go get your kids back. Go get my nation back. Go get the government back. Get it back. You know, what are we going to do if the government shuts down these walls? Are we going to be like what's going on in California? I hope so. I hope we can be a people who say, we'll sweat all day to sing praises in the 98 degree, 135 degree heat index outside in the parking lot. I hope we can be, but are you ready for that? Because let's just be honest, if you're not seeking God and the pastor says we can't meet in the AC and we're going to sweat like no one's business for three hours of praise, well, I just don't worship God that long. 35 minutes of songs is way too long for me anyways. I don't know about no three hours. Yet you got people in the Old Testament walking around Jericho wall for like seven days. Are you ready? You know how you get ready? Endure the stuff now. It produces the perfect and complete you that can endure whatever. I want to remind you of something in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Because remember, it's why not now? Why doesn't God get it now? It says every time they were to gather together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is it time now for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? 
He answered, the Father is the one who sets the fixed dates and the times of their fulfillment. You're not permitted to know the timing of all that he's prepared by his own authority. So the next time you turn on TV and someone's telling you what God showed them about when, that is totally not right. It's contrary to Scripture. You're not permitted to know. So no matter how big their name is, guess they don't know. Don't waste your time. But I promise you this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you'll be filled with power, and you'll be my messengers to Jerusalem, Judea, the distant provinces, remotest places on earth. Why do you need to be filled with power? Because you're going to come against some battles with some enemies that are still there to test your obedience. The advantage that we have over these people of Israel is that the Holy Spirit doesn't visit us. It dwells in us. It's not up to God anymore. It's, it's up to, well, it's, never, it's, it's always been up to us. The Holy Spirit's in you. So it's not when is the Holy Spirit going to show up. It's when are you going to tap into that which is residing in your spirit and soul. When are you going to tap into that? We can't ignore it. We can't be a body that ignores our relationship with God so that we can dive into this, 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 and this, and this, and intermarry and intermingle with all this other stuff. We've got to say, God, you've got all of me. Well, at the end of verse 11, we, and I'm going to get to the end. <clears throat> After 40 years of peace, the judge Othniel, what, he, what happened to him? He died. Let me paint a picture of what happens in the church. We depend on one man called a pastor. And when the pastor lets you down, it's a term we've called church hurt. And all of our faith goes away. And I'm not doing church anymore. I trusted in that one person. They led me to here. And now, look what they've done. And then we separate from the body. These people are following Othniel. And under great leadership, 40 years of peace. But let's get honest about Relentless. I love where we're at as a house. God's, God is bringing people on Saturdays and Sundays, and we're seeing incredible things happen. But what would happen if I drove out of here today and died in a car wreck? Are you depending on me to sustain it? Because that's what happens. When the leader goes, the movement stops. That's not what God wants. You can either depend on me, or I can do what my job is. What is my job? It's not to give you the sermon for the week. It's to train you and raise you as a warrior to be ready to war throughout your week through a lifestyle called seeking. And if you're not seeking, the moment your spiritual leader goes, so will you. Look what happens in verse 12. He dies. Once again, the Israelites did evil because their leader wasn't there. Because they're what? They're in a king's kingdom. There's no king. There's no leader. It was just Othniel. And the Lord gave King Eglon and Moab control over the Israel because of their evil. 
Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Malachites as allies, and he went out. He defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms, and the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. Eight years of bondage, 40 years of peace, dude dies, and now they've gone from eight years of bondage into 18 years of bondage. Sin always brings bondage. It may not look like it because sin looks good. But so does the fish hook to a fish. It always looks good. And because it looks good, we make compromise and allies with unclean things. And before you know it, you forget about your God. And then 18 years later, you're stuck in a place that you don't know how to get out of. And quite frankly, you forgot how you even got there. But the goodness of God says, all you got to do is cry out to me. Because I've already given you Jesus. I've already given you, the, I've already given you access to the great truth that no matter how much you stray away from me, I'm not going to leave you. Because you no longer have to earn me. You are righteous. But I can't keep my hand on you if you live in an identity outside of the truth of the identity that I gave you. But I'm right here to put my hand back. And a lot of us are wondering, why am I enduring so much trouble? Why am I enduring so much pain? It's one of two things. It's a test of obedience or the hands off because you have stopped seeking him and you've given in to too much intermingling and intermarriage of things not of God. And I'm getting to a point in my leadership when someone comes to me and say, Pastor Kyle, I'm dealing with this. How do I? The first thing I'm going to ask is, tell me about your life. I'm not going to waste my time praying for deliverance or healing if you're going to walk right back into the thing that got you in the place of your need for healing. I've got two more passages and we're done. God is so good. This is what he tells us in Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16. <clears throat> this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I'll be like a shepherd looking for a scattered flock. I'll find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the dark and cloudy day. I'll bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the people in the nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the rivers and all the places where people live. Yes, I'll give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep, give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away. I'll bring them safely home again. I'll banish the injured, strengthen the weak, and I'll destroy those who are fat and powerful. I'll feed them. Yeah, I'll feed them with justice. God says, even if you stray away from me and you become kingless, I love you so much. I'll find you. I'll rescue you. I'll bring you home from the people and the cultures that you've intermingled with. I'll feed you and give you land of steward again. I'll tend to you, I'll give you rest, I'll bandage you up, and I'll strengthen you. Why do all this? 
because I need you to be ready. Because there is coming a time where I need my bride, my church to be ready to war. Because everyone else, they're not going to know what to do or who to turn to. Where are my people at? God has so much purpose for us. And all he wants to do is redeem you for it. I close with this scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Because I've got plans for good, plans for future, plans for a hope. And all you've got to do is cry out to me and seek me. And as, you don't have to earn anything. But if you would seek me, I'll show you what needs to be removed. I'll give you the peace so that you can walk in obedience with me. So that you can conquer whatever you're coming against. So that, and, and through that, you're going to be the greatest warrior I've ever raised up. And when the enemy tries to rear its ugly head, my people will always stand in victory. So let's be a people ready to war. Seeking his goodness. Seeking his greatness. Because he's a good, good father. Amen.